Shuko, let me show you something. Oh, is this your dog? He's very, very cute. Well, thank you. I, I prefer to say handsome, but uh, <laughs> but thank you. He is causing a little bit of confusion today, though. Mm, why is that? Well, you see, our team here in the background thought it would be a good idea to talk about my dog at the top of the episode <laughs> just because his name is Crypto. I still don't get why that's not a good idea. We are talking about crypto today, no? That's true. But <laughs> but my dog's name is Crypto with a K, and that's not a typo. Ah, so we're talking about crypto as in kryptonite? Yes, indeed. Something like that. People <laughs> people who like superhero comics will, will know where his name comes from. Very cryptic, Jeff. <laughs> I see what you did there. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Crypto with a C, as in cryptocurrencies, is at least a little closer to our topic today, right? Well, it's part of it. We're looking at Web3, so basically all things blockchain. And of course, crypto is where blockchain technology originated. But you know, you can do so much more with a blockchain than just registering who owns which Bitcoin. The idea is not only to have a decentralized currency, but a decentralized web. And I think everybody got a little glimpse of what Web3 can do with the NFT hype a few months ago. It has revolutionized the art market. And just briefly for everyone who hasn't followed in detail, NFTs are a way to register ownership of a piece of art on a blockchain. So the artist can attach rules to it that every time someone sells the NFT to someone else, a certain percentage of the price paid for it goes to the artist's wallet. And that's only one example of the applications that blockchains can enable, or as it's often called today, distributed ledger technology. For short, DLT. Mm -hmm. But what are ways in which a company like ours, so talking about Bosch, can benefit from DLT? There's no person better equipped to answer that than our Tanya Rückert, Bosch's chief digital officer. Our listeners know that we've wanted to have her on the show mm -hmm. basically since we started. Definitely. And she's always wanted to be on the show herself, and now we've finally made that happen. Whoop, whoop. I am a long-time listener and first-time guest, so I'm very honored to be here. This was actually recorded last month in Berlin at the Bosch Connected World. I had the pleasure to interview Tanya on the BCW TV. Before we hear more from her... I would like to maybe reintroduce Tanya to our dear listeners. Tanya Rückert is the Chief Digital Officer at Bosch Global. She graduated from Regensburg University with a PhD in chemistry. In addition to chemistry, Tanya also studied economics and started her career at the German software company SAP. Some 20 years later, she finally joined Bosch in 2018 as the president of Bosch Building Technologies Management Board. Tanya is a smart home enthusiast, but also likes to leave her IoT-packed house as she has also a passion for traveling. She is definitely at the forefront of this. We started our conversation at BCW with an example. I asked her, where is Bosch experimenting with Web3 technology? We are right now working on a job fair, a candidate fair. Uh -huh. And then you also have the interviews with using those VR uh, uh -huh. with, with the glasses. Okay. And why is Web3 there important? Because you want to know that the candidate is a candidate. 
Wait, we talked about this project before. When two people meet online, they want to be sure that the other party is who they say they are. And that's possible in Web3 using self-sovereign identities. We made a whole episode about it. To all new listeners who first heard about our podcast at Bosch Connected World, go back in the feed and find the SSI episode. That's right. Web3 offers that security and identity layer that's missing from the internet as we know it today. In addition to interviewing candidates in virtual reality, which I think makes Bosch look really cool to young talent, Tanya mentioned another example application. When we look at an engineering project, an engineering project, you always have the collaboration of several companies, several partners. Mm -hmm. And here Web3 again helps it because you can clearly say, is this a partner or is it not whatever competitor sneaking in? Mm -hmm. And there we already use it today. That's very, very interesting because I mean that, that effectively brings up... When Tanya brought this up, that set the scene for the rest of our conversation. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting scenario because not only do you want to make sure you have the right people in the room, I mean, in this case, the virtual room, but also you're working on projects together. And that means sharing data, sensitive data, potentially. So security here is paramount. Especially given Tanya's assumption that collaboration between companies will only increase in the future. We are partnering with others in a more and more connected world. No one can do it alone. So this, this is the concept that's sometimes called competition, and it's kind of a combination of the two words cooperation and competition. I think there's a French word for this. Yes, there is. It's called a portmanteau. Portmanteau. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yes. Think of Web3 more as a consortium approach where everybody looks on eye level and it's not like I have more data, I have more money and so on, Yeah, but, but we share the data. And I think this, of course, makes a difference and that's why I believe competition is a good wording or partnering mm -hmm. because you don't have the data monopolies. Let me jump in here. In Web 2.0, our current internet, we see that monopolies have formed. A handful of big companies dominate the web business. They're accumulating tons and tons of data And in this winner-takes-all world, it's hard to compete. And that, Tanya said in my interview with her, will change with Web3. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you don't have the data monopolies anymore. Data is shared in a decentralized way. At least that's the hope. It won't happen automatically. This, of course, needs also a cultural shift, a different mm -hmm. mindset, because everybody needs to be willing to share data. We are not used to, Jeff has some data, Tanya has some data, Shuko has some data, and we all throw it in, and, and it only will work if, first of all, this open mindset happens. So it's a different level playing field, what we have there. And then... To do the sharing, you also have to think of the incentive mechanism that, yes. that you put it in. And here I would say we can see that Web3 is not yet a mature technology, what we are working on since 20, 30 years, but it's something in the evolution because mm -hmm. the incentive mechanisms are not clarified yet. What I understood from this is that this is all still very much in an explorative state. But the idea makes sense, and I think it has incentives built in. Web3 enables benefits for consortias, for collaboration, for competition. Sharing and collaborating creates a level playing field, but also more innovation. Because when you have more data, you can build better products, for example. And of course, that's what it will still be about eventually, building better products for your target groups than the competition. It's really just that. To make it happen, you need to do two things. 
First, invest in it to help the technology mature. And convince others that it's worth making the switch to Web3. Here's how Tanya put it. And when we look at Web3, you could also think about it like an infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And an infrastructure, you always have to invest in advance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in the current economic times, <laughs> the, the interest in investing in advance is... Um, I would say medium. Yeah, especially <laughs> at, when the topic max. is not so well understood by it, everyone. It's, it's not well understood. People say, oh, I can still do it in Web 2. You know, if, if something works well in the current situation and you still make enough money, there is not enough pain for the disruption. Mm -hmm. When I look around the industry, a lot of companies are investing in it, mm -hmm. but they are investing in it, but not yet fully going into it because they say, let's see how the market evolves. So we do hear some hesitation there. As long as your business model works, you know, why change it, right? That's right. But Tanya is wary of not missing the point when it's the right time to fully embrace Web3. Because there's always the danger that if you're too late to the party, it's really hard to catch up. I suppose this is the classic innovator's dilemma, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you only sustain your current business and innovate within its boundaries, it might be disrupted by new players. But when you invest in niche markets, or in this case, unproven technologies, that can easily fail, and it's hard to make an argument for such a risk. And Tanya is aware that there are companies out there that know nothing but the Web3 mindset. Who are moving faster in the Web3 environment are startups. Because they don't have this heritage that they invested already in a use case on Web2. Mm -hmm. And this mindset of sharing data is, say, start from it, from scratch. Mm -hmm. And this makes it much easier. But I still believe we at Bosch, we will also make it because we are a front runner as of today. We have invested in Web3 already since years in corporate research. And now we have to start harvesting while we continue to evolve the technology. I think it was a fascinating conversation, and those were just some of the highlights. I found it interesting to hear that technology has the power to change how doing business works. It enables us to do things differently, and I think I've never thought about it that way. Same on my side. Also, that, that she sees that Web3 is an infrastructure for consortia and competition is new to me. Mm -hmm. Because so far, most of what we've heard about crypto, blockchain, and Web3 itself were kind of speculation-driven schemes. Tanya mentioned startups that Bosch has collaborated with, an important part of the strategy to help shape the technology and the marketplace. One of those startups is Polycrypt. My name is Marcel Kaiser. I'm business developer at Polycrypt. He was not at BCW, unfortunately, so this interview was recorded in the week after. Polycrypt has worked on solving some of those blockchain infrastructure challenges that Tanya previously mentioned. Originally, we come from the scalability challenge. That means what can you do to make blockchain transactions more scalable while retaining the trust-free nature of it? From there on, we started our journey with the vision to open up blockchain ecosystems for companies and users and in between each other, because interoperability has now become one of our main topics as well. Scalability used to be a huge problem. The Bitcoin blockchain was sometimes clogged with basically too many transactions. Mm -hmm. But then things like Lightning were developed. Solutions that helped increase process transactions off-chain to reduce the load on the chain. It's more efficient, but it's still a decentralized network. 
So what Marcel's startup has developed is very similar to that, except they also add interoperability to the mix. So you have a really fragmented space. And interoperability means to connect them without losing, again, this feature of uh, not having to trust anyone while using a feature. So the solution they built is called Perun. And Perun is interoperable with any blockchain? Well, not any, any blockchain, but a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So let's say the most important ones, uh, starting with Ethereum, are supported. Now let's get into how Perun actually works. As a user, you could say you want to open up a channel, you trigger a smart contract. That smart contract is connected with a Perun hub and that hub provider, they open up a channel that you define and you, you do whatever you want to do in that channel. I don't know, you play a game of chess with me. And in the end, if you have uh, controlled like the final state and you controlled that I didn't cheat, then you sign it and it's uh, finalized, and then the smart contract uh, pays out whatever is to be paid out or gives out whatever is to be given out. That can be tokens or cryptocurrency, but also information depending on the use case. Okay, so everything is peer-to-peer -peer on this private channel before the peers decide that they're done. And then the channel is closed, and the resulting state will be written onto the blockchain. Right, and in addition to scalability and interoperability... This has even more advantages. For instance, you don't have to be online, for example, the whole time. It works offline too. Perun especially was designed with the attention to actually serve IoT, right? So it is usable by devices. We wanted to have it programmable so that it remains usable for the IoT sector. And that's why it's especially interesting for Bosch. So Bosch Research collaborates with Marcel's team at Polycrypt in a project that is placed under the umbrella of the Hyperledger Foundation. And why do IoT devices need blockchain connectivity? Well, I learned the answer to that also from one of our guests at Bosch Connected World. <laughs> After I had the chance to talk to Tanya Ruckert, Shuko interviewed our dear colleague Chafa Insa at the BCW. That's right. Chafa works at the chief digital office at Bosch Mobility Solutions. His job is to evaluate business cases in Web3. And of course, IoT plays a huge role in this. Here's one scenario he's currently developing. We are starting evaluating with that a parking use case. In our understanding, parking is starting at a parking lot in an M2N interaction, means with the whole environment, all contributors, multiple parties are offering on that parking marketplace their services, charging, uh, damage detection, cleaning. All these are services on that marketplace around that economic asset of a vehicle. The vehicle has an SSI ID to interact with all these services on that marketplace. Different users might have different needs, depending, for instance, on whether they have an electric car, whether it's their personal vehicle or part of a fleet, and so on. Chaffa explained that users can book a personalized bundle without having to interact with the individual service providers. And uh, this is a perfect starting position from our perspective for user journey because the user could define which service bundles he intend to use and pay for and all the other stuff will be done in the background like the revenue sharing with smart contracts, for example. For the end consumer, it's really convenient. He's just paying one fee and all the other stuff get done in the background in the end. In that interview with Chafa, we talked some more about what it means when the middleman gets cut out. 
And that's really a core feature of Web3. Chaffer likes to call them orchestrators. Without that orchestration, you have one control point less, and if the middleman is not there, then it's a fair balance of power, fair share of revenue, and every participant can contribute like he is intending to do that in that ecosystem. I think this framing makes a lot of sense. Of course, orchestrators also have an important role today, governance. How to properly delegate that to a distributed ledger technology is one of the remaining challenges. So, Shuko, do you feel ready for the Web3 future? <laughs> I'm definitely ready for a world that is not orchestrated, like Chaffa says. And if technologies like SSI and Web3 can help make that happen, bring it on. <laughs> But what about you, Jeff? Are you ready? Ah, wait, you know what? We can do the Web3 readiness test that we also did on our guests at BCW. So, ready for some rapid-fire Web3 questions? Always ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Question one, if I recall correctly, was, do you have a crypto wallet? Do you? Does ETFs count as crypto wallets? ETFs? Yeah. Do you mean, are you saying exchange-traded funds with your investment broker? No, ETFs don't count. Okay, let's just say no. <laughs> you? Of course. <laughs> I know, it's a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> And here's Tanya's answer. Do you have a crypto wallet? Yes. Cool. I you want to know any... what is in? Please, please share. So like maybe everybody, I have Bitcoin and Ethereum, but I also try out EOS or Stella. Or, uh -huh. yeah, some. And I'm no, people will now say, oh, why does she not have this and that? But I think sure. everybody should try out something where he or she believes it's maybe the future. Fully agreed. Next one. Have you been able to successfully explain distributed ledger technology to friends and family? So on business side, yes. But to my <laughs> kids, I never tried so far. I might do it this weekend. That's an interesting challenge. I'm interested to hear how that goes. I'm still working on my parents, so uh, it's oh. fair enough. The family side can be, can be tricky. <laughs> Next, I asked Tanya if she owns any NFTs. No. No? No. What about you, Shuko? So if I don't have a crypto wallet, this is definitely something I will not have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure there's plenty of people in the world that have NFTs, but mm. haven't actually tried to purchase cryptocurrency. I'm sure there's someone like that. And the last question I had for Tanya was, will Web3 replace the internet as we know it? It is an evolution. And I think that's why you cannot speak yet of a replacement. We'll know in a few mm -hmm. years, but clearly coming from Web 2, Web 3 will happen in the next five to 10 years. And there are right now some risks and hurdles. We have to overcome them. But I believe it will play a significant role. Complete substitution to be seen. I think Tanya has a good point because we see with all kind of big changes that we have in the world, there's never a huge or a complete, let's say, replacement. So I agree with her. It will definitely play a significant role to what extent it will replace Web 2. Hmm. I don't know. What's your take, Jeff? Well, it's not something where there, there is a, a hard line. You know, there's no management mm. dashboard mm. with a bunch mm. of KPIs monitoring, okay, have we reached Web3 yet? The <laughs> point is more uh, understanding what, the, what the, the, you know, 
the technical differences are between the way the two things are mm. approached. And being fundamentally distributed and democratized and mm. digitalized, I think, are the big three things that everyone's focused on and that Tanya is alluding to when she talks about it being an evolution. All in all, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where Web3 is headed. And I really enjoyed this behind-the-scenes view, adding some substance to the hype around crypto and NFTs. There's definitely technology in the background that will survive the hypes, that's that's mm-hmm. clear. Even <laughs> though the blockchain has had a couple rough weeks yes. <laughs> recently, for those paying attention to the news. And I'd certainly like to thank everyone again who talked to us about this, because it's also unfinished and, as Tanya said, evolving. Yeah, and people usually don't like to talk about things that are still under heavy development. So yeah, that was very refreshing. Yes, and again, thank you to all of our guests for your trust. We have trust built in, Jeff, just like blockchain. And that's definitely something the world needs more, trust online. Which doesn't mean that people need to necessarily trust more. Actually, quite the opposite is true. The technology (laughs) has to be safe and secure and provide the trust itself. That's the promise and the challenge. And that's a wrap on this episode. To make a terrible transition, on our next episode, you will wonder if you can trust your ears. Mm -hmm. We'll explore the world of 3D audio. But that's next year in January. I would just like to take a moment and look back at the amazing year that we've had. (laughs) Personally, my favorite moment on the show was when we got to interview the CDO of Bosch. That was pretty great. <laughs> Absolutely a highlight. Um, I have to admit, I really enjoyed our motorbike of course take, you did. especially when I had the live field test. But I also really enjoyed the episode on level four and on fuel cell that we had mm-hmm. over the summer. Yeah. And of course, the climax was when we recorded our first live show in Berlin. Mm-hmm. The link to all of our shows you will find in the show notes. Yeah, that was really great. Mm. And if you're enjoying our episodes and you have a moment, why not leave a review on your favorite podcast app? And did you already give our deep dive shows a try? Our new extra AI-hosted podcast, also monthly. It's fantastic. Talk to you next year. Enjoy the holidays and Happy New Year, everyone. Happy holidays and Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) How is that already a year? From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast.